Welcome to our Mindfulness Podcast. Each week we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gasho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and and, uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, We focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with Gasho. And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today with our program. Thank you very much. The Golden Chain I am a link in Amita's golden chain of love that stretches around the world. I will keep my link bright and strong. May I be kind and gentle to every living thing and protect all who are weaker than myself. May I think pure and beautiful thoughts, say pure and beautiful words, and do pure and beautiful deeds. May every link in Amita's golden chain of love be bright and strong, and may we all attain perfect peace. We will now begin our chanting segment. Chanting is another form of meditation. Through chanting, we have to be present in the moment as we concentrate on each syllable that's presented before us. It is a way for us to calm our minds and to be in the here and now. Today's chanting will be the Sambutsuge. We often chant the Sambutsuge in Shin Buddhist services. These verses are from the larger Sutra of Immeasurable Life, which was composed in India during the first century of the Common Era and translated into Chinese around 400 of the Common Era. It is a cornerstone text for Pure Land Buddhism in China and Japan. Shinran Shonin esteemed the larger Sutra above all other teachings and he devoted his life to its propagation. We will begin chanting it now. Good evening, no good 
Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. This is Reverend John Turner, and I kind of wanted to do something different this time. We we're just going to discuss a topic that's kind of important to Buddhism. We get this question all the time from uh, new people. They always ask us, is Buddhism a religion? And I guess it's a simple question, right? You could answer yes or no, but a lot of times simple questions have really difficult answers, like 
Another simple question might be, what is the meaning of life? Those are simple questions, but they're very complicated, and you have to unpack them, and you have to look at what the underlying assumptions are. So I wanted to start with another question. I'm pivoting like they do in debates, is what is a sport? During the COVID pandemic, ESPN, which stands for Entertainment Sports and Programming Network, but we all think of it as a sports channel for men, they started running a lot of different things that were quote-unquote sports because there was no football, there was no baseball, and there was no basketball, and there was no golf. So I started out of desperation after I ran through all my content on Netflix. I had to watch ESPN, and I remember watching something called Cornhole, that's that thing where the grown men have bean bags and they try to throw it in a, a little hole in a wooden box. There's curling. I saw that. I saw video game contests. I also saw drone races. And I don't think I would call any of those things sports. And when I think of sports, this is kind of my internal definition, I think of things that are team sports. So when I think of sports, I usually think of something that's done as a team with other teammates. And I also think of sports as being aerobic. You sweat a lot and you breathe really hard. So what we do a lot in life is we invent categories for study. And then we decide membership in that category. And it's very subtle. So when we debate whether golf is a sport, we're not really debating golf. Golf is what it is. It doesn't change its character. What we're really debating is the definition of sport. And depending on how we make that definition, golf is either going to be included or excluded. So if we look at some of the sports, common sports here, and we use kind of my rough definition, internal definition, that's often not even articulated and I'm not aware of, is a group of people running around getting hot and sweaty. So I have a list here for you. This would make football a sport. NASCAR, auto racing, would not be a sport. You just sit in a car and you just have to turn left over and over and over again. Golf is not really a sport. It's kind of a pastime. Tennis, it's not really a team sport, but you do play against another person and there's a lot of running and conditioning and strength and power. So I would say yes. Along with football, tennis is a sport. Baseball, there's not a lot of running around, but it is a team activity. So yes to baseball. I would even say probably yes to softball. It's kind of the baby brother of baseball. But things like shuffleboard, I would say, is not a sport. And we had this argument at work, and one of my friends came up and said, well, this is an easy debate. If you can hold and use your iPhone while you're doing it, then he said it's not a sport. So if we use his definition, NASCAR suddenly becomes a sport because you can't be driving over 200 miles an hour around an oval track texting people on your iPhone. But sadly, golf is still out because I think you can still use your iPhone when you golf. So shuffleboard, of course, is still out. So it just depends on how we define the category of sport. And we've done the very same thing with the idea of world religions. It is a category that has been invented as an object of study. So when Christian invaders or colonizers or imperialists 
moved into India especially, they came across Buddhism, yoga, and Hinduism. They've already had some contact with Judaism and Islam, and those along with Christianity are the three Abrahamic religions, monotheistic religions, and they all have a basic structure, and they all answer the same basic questions. There's questions about what happens after we die, and questions about our relationship with God, and sin, and the covenant between man and God. So there's a founder, there's texts, and there are specific doctrinal beliefs. And these were the things that they saw as making something a religion. Now, they could have picked other things. They could have focused on practice. They could have focused on um, etiquette, rules about eating and food and purity. But they decided that this is what they were going to base their definition on. So it's kind of interesting. When they looked at Buddhism, they found a founder, the historical Buddha. They found sutras. And they also mistaken, I think, practices for beliefs. So they saw karma and interdependence and cause and effect as beliefs. And this happens a lot. It's called a confirmation bias, or you only see things that you recognize. You see it through your lens, and you interpret it in the only way you can. So for better or for worse, Buddhism was placed into the world religions category. Hinduism doesn't really have a founder, but it seemed like they had a bunch of beliefs, and it seemed like they certainly had a bunch of texts, and there were priestly Brahmic group. So Hinduism gets added to the group of world religions. But it's very interesting. Yoga also has texts. There is a Pantanjali Sutra. I may not be pronouncing that right. But there is a sutra that yoga is based upon. And they have a set of beliefs. They have ideas about practice. But yoga was seen as an exercise, as something you do as practice only. And so yoga was not placed in this elite club of world religions. So in the United States, it's very interesting the implications this has had. As Buddhists, we always get questions about religion within a Christian context. The questions we get are like, what do you believe in? Do you believe in God? Where do you go when you die? Do you pray? What are your foundational beliefs? We rarely get asked questions about practice. We rarely get asked, what do we do? And that's because we are seen as a religion the way you would think of Christianity. And all these questions are fine questions for Christians to ask, but they're not really in the Buddhist wheelhouse. These aren't the questions that we worry about. And they really show a bias towards a Christian view of their own religion, not our religion. And sometimes I get a little bit frustrated because many world religion students from the universities in Southern California come to the Orange County Buddhist Church and they ask me these 10 standard questions based on a Christian understanding of what it means to be religious. After a while, I have found it a little bit frustrating because if you're a professor of a world religion course, you should know well enough and you should know the subject deep enough that these aren't 
religious questions for Buddhists. You need to find questions that are more generic, more open-ended, or maybe offer different questions for students going to different locations. They are very biased towards Christianity. And the reason why Buddhists have trouble answering them is because this is not what we do. This is not what we're worrying about. This isn't the focus of our practice. And so for yoga, they have the opposite problem. Nobody ever asks them questions about spirituality. They only ask them technical questions about how to attain a pose, how to master a pose, how to lose weight, how to gain core strength. And so one of the dangers in America is yoga is losing its spirituality. Its religious depth is being sucked out of it because most yoga students see it as a way of exercise. It's analogous to running or doing aerobics. So it is in the category of exercise in America. It's not within the category of spirituality. But we have the opposite problem for Buddhism. We're being asked doctrinal, academic, belief-type questions. And if we're not careful, we will become a religious philosophy or a dogma, and it sucks the energy and power and focus away from practice. And I believe that Buddhism is much more like yoga than it is like Christianity. It is an activity that you engage in that's transformative. It makes you feel a different way. It makes you see things a different way. It makes you interact in the world in new and different ways. It helps you become an authentic person. And so I don't mind answering questions of people that coming to temple if the questions are real and authentic and they really want to learn. I don't mind answering even Christian-based questions about Buddhism. One of the strategies I take is I pivot and I try to reframe the question within the context and the presumptions of the Buddhist religion. But if they're gotcha questions, I'm not really interested in answering them. And I read a really interesting story of the Buddha in one of the Buddha's sutras that one time the Buddha was asked if he'd like to go to debate and argue with an adversary from another religious tradition. And I was kind of surprised, but the Buddha declined. And he said he wasn't really interested in winning a debate. He was interested in answering sincere and authentic questions and helping people grow, but he wasn't really worried in academic, intellectual competition. And so I've used that precedence in my own religious practice. Another example of this, an extreme example, is when religious courses come to OCBC as a group, they're world religion courses and they are open and looking to learn. But oftentimes when they come individually, it's a different story. I had one person come who was really argumentative with me and I didn't really quite understand what was going on. And then about two weeks later, another woman asked if she could come. And this time I decided I should set the expectations and figure out what her goals were. And she quite honestly and very openly told me that she was taking a course called Christian Apologetics. And a lot of people think apologetics means apologizing for something, but it really means to defend. So Christian Apologetics would be to defend Christian doctrine at all cost. And I'm sure there's such a thing as Buddhist apologetics. And she told me that her professor's advice was to find somebody that she totally disagreed with and then have a debate with them. And I told her I wasn't interested 
I really don't want to have a debate. I wouldn't debate you about dance or piano or playing guitar or other activities. And therefore, I'm not really going to debate you about Buddhism. So I think these are important things to remember when we ask questions about Buddhism. Is it a religion? Where do we go when we die? Oftentimes, Buddhists would like some logical symmetry, some consistency. A Buddhist might ask, why are you so worried about where you go when you die? And you seem perfectly calm about not knowing where you were before you were born. If you're not worried about that, then why are you worried about where you are going? There's a famous koan in Buddhism that asks, what was your original face before your parents were born? One minister at a Dharma talk once said that we're all about 14.5 billion years old. He said that was the beginning of the Big Bang that let loose all the causes and conditions. And it wasn't until 1960 that all these came together and I was able to rise out of the formless, infinite reality to take form as John Turner. That's where I was before I was born. And that's where I'll return to when I die. So we worry about things in Buddhism. We just don't worry about where we go when we die. We have other things that we're concerned about. And so I hope when you start to ask questions about Buddhism, ask the questions maybe that apply to our practice. How do we see things clearly? Why do we suffer? Why do we feel like we're lost or we don't have meaning in our lives? Why do we feel disconnected? Why do sometimes bad things happen to good people? Those kinds of questions are relevant and germane and the ones we focus on during our practice as Buddhists. So thank you very much. I hope I answered your question by not really answering it. That's another technique in Buddhism. In general, the answer is for you to seek and find that resonates as authentic on your own. Thank you very much. Please join me in Gasho. Namo Amidabuts, Namandabuts, Namandabuts, Namandabuts. Shin Buddhist Life Principles. In trusting in the vow of the Buddha, calling out the Buddha's name, I will pass through the journey of life with strength and joy. Revering the light of the Buddha, reflecting upon my imperfect self, I will strive to live a life of gratitude. Following the teachings of the Buddha, discerning the right path, I will share the true Dharma with all. Rejoicing in the compassion of the Buddha, respecting and aiding all sentient beings, I will work towards the welfare of society and the world. Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. This concludes this podcast. I hope you feel grounded. I hope you feel different than when you began. And this feeling you have, I hope you take it with you out into your everyday life. It's important to develop these qualities in a controlled environment like this podcast, but the aim is for the effects to begin to bleed out into your everyday life naturally. My wife once sent me a meme on Facebook that said, yoga works, but only if you show up. And I feel that way about Buddhism and about meditation. It surely works, but only if you stick with it. And you have to get to the point where it becomes something natural and effortless in your life. 
And if you have high expectations and you're trying to rush the process, you actually retard your ability to change over time. You don't want to grasp it. You don't want to hang on to it. You just want to experience it in a regular practice and integrate it into your everyday life. So thank you very much for coming. I will close with Gasho. Hands together and we will bow. Today's program was presented by Reverend John Turner, Reverend Ellen Crane, and Minister's Assistant James Pollard. Executive Producers, Reverend John Turner and Jim Scott. Produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. Directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner. Edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. This program is copyright 2021 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. For more information about this or other podcasts, groups, and activities, ECE classes, and temple services, visit us on the web at ocbuddhist.org.